I think I'm having an art attack. How are you, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your host, Lizzie Daston, art historian, degrees up the wazoo, about to get her PhD. Maybe, and I'm, a, and I'm about to get my LMNLP. My name is Justin Bua. <laughs> I'm an artist extraordinaire with very little degrees. I have a degree in street science. Now, I have a BFA, uh, but who cares? Really, it's not about me. This is about Lizzie. <laughs> no, because it's really your topic <laughs> today. It is. Your topic today is Dada. I'm very excited. Who's your Dada is going to be the title <laughs> of this episode, which makes me laugh every time I say it. And Dada is absolutely one of my favorite art movements. I think that it was one of the most significant things that happened conceptually in the 20th century in art because it's really the first time that the object, the art object, is de-skilled. And it's the first time that process isn't quite as important as the concept, that it really becomes relegated. And that is something that, as you know, through our conversations, I really support. So Dada for me is the genesis. Let us dissect that because our average viewer out there has to be a little bit as perplexed as I am when you say that. So what do you mean when you say it's not about the process? Well, I just mean that it's not about the craftsmanship of painting to simulate the experience of looking outside of a window and onto the world. And so process is important, but the process isn't about the skill of the artist's hands. It's really about the creativity of his or her mind. And a perfect example of that would be the work of Duchamp and his ready-made objects. So traditionally, before the time of Dada, If an artist identified as a sculptor, he or she would take a venerable material, say bronze or marble, like Michelangelo that we discussed in an earlier episode, and they would carve that work, and through the skill and the mastery of their hand, some kind of image or representational figure would emerge. And so it really required a tremendous amount of both acuity, but also technical prowess. And now Duchamp, he thought, well... And I have to give a context. Dada came out, or Dada was conceptualized right after World War I. And so at this point, the world is undergoing really deep systemic ideological chaos, and art, as a result, changes. So Duchamp, he was among the first people to really identify this change and recognize these shifts in his work. And so instead of sculpting in the traditional way that we're used to seeing, he took an object that was ready-made. So by an industrial hand, it was a functional object, and all he did was reorient it, sign it, and then stick it in a gallery. And the famous example is Fountain, where he took a ready-made urinal Mm -hmm. and he took away the plumbing, so it's just the porcelain object that he did not make. All he did was flip it on its side, stick it in a gallery, sign it, R. Mutt, date it, and then Mm. call it art. 
And a lot of people thought, well, are you making fun of me? Are you satirizing the art world? Are you saying that art is dead? But I think that he was just exposing and anticipating the limitless possibilities for what art can be. Yeah. So I have so many questions about Dada. I know it, I know it came uh, during World War I, and I know it also is, and I guess, therefore, it's a minimalist art movement. Right. What do you mean by minimalist? Because that doesn't happen. Until I always feel World like da, like Dada. I feel the is the musical equivalent of Dadaism. For example, Philip Glass. These repetitive kind of the same. The same. The same. The same. The same. The same. This kind of looping sameness. There's a ready-made. You're saying it's there's a ready-made component to it, but is it also a minimalistic looping? Am I am I way off? No, by no, this? no, no. Okay. You're not at all. I okay. think that because I know about art history too. Yeah, you, know you what do. I'm saying? Yeah, buddy. But I, I'm really kind of, Dada has always confused me. Like where it sits. I know it came around 1910 ish, right? Right after that, right. Am I wrong? No, no. It's the no, early World 20th War, century. World War I is 1914 to 1918. So it's I in do the wake that. of World War I. Okay. And Fountain was dated to 1917, I believe. And when you say minimalism, that is just a little bit tricky because that movement doesn't happen until the 1960s. And so it is, I think, minimal in its presentation and minimal in its execution. But I wouldn't say it's a minimalist movement just okay. because there's some some semantics that are a little confusing. But I do think that minimalism was inspired by Dada because something that those two forces share is the elimination of the artist's hand. You're never going to see a fingerprint of Duchamp. Mm -hmm. You're not going to feel his intensity. The work is not imprinted with his emotions or his psychology. Everything is just completely removed. So then if we look at his painting application of that is new descending the staircase a dada painting i think so yeah i think it's almost proto dada because it's not completely a synthesized dada idea but new descending a staircase is such a great reference and one of the most significant paintings to ever be exhibited in the united states and it was famously first shown at the armory show in new york and it was just criticized, lampooned. Everybody hated it because they didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And New Descending a Staircase is a very simple composition. It is a nude figure on a stairwell. But what's so inventive about it is that it's not just a solid moment in time. It's the nude through the process of the descent. And so we see it's almost like those slow motion photographs where you can see those lines of movement, but it's done rendered through oil on canvas. And so you feel the body slicing through the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and everything is just whittled down into these shapes. And it's funny because a critic upon seeing this painting said that it looked like an explosion in a shingle factory, which (laughs) actually (laughs) to me, it, it looks like the Oscar 
if the Oscar had come to life and was actually descending a staircase. But I don't, <laughs> you, but I, you know, because it feels like this golden metallic figure that's actually in movement. And he does capture movement quite well. And it does look animated as if he was doing an animated uh, walk. But the thing about this also is it, it, it harkens to a little bit of cubism. It feels cubistic in a way. And cubism, of course, is the idea uh, that's based on the theory of relativity, that everything is relative, and that you're able to look at something, someone from multiple perspectives, multiple vantage points, so that uh, when Picasso, who was, I feel, one of the fathers, if not the father of cubism, he would have one figure or one object and you would be able to see it from multiple uh, dimensions. You know, Brock as well. I love Brock. I grew up with a lot of Brock, uh, Picasso. And I think that this one is very cubistic as well. It is. That is really astute. I think what the Dadaists share, at least at this early moment of Dadaism with cubism, is an interest in time. Because cubism, as you say, you see it from different perspectives and that anticipates the viewer moving around whatever object is being rendered. And it's the same with New Descending a Staircase. We don't really change as a viewer, but the figure is what's changing within the logic of the space. And so we don't see this frozen moment. We see a lengthier exchange between this viewer and this object of the stairwell. And it's hard to understand without the context, without lengthier conversations. And so I think that's why people were so afraid because at the time that it was shown in New York, the popular art style was the was representational paintings like George Bellows or people that we talked about the within the Ashcan school. And so imagine if you're expecting a literal rendering of dudes drinking at a bar and you see this figure that's totally stylized and abstracted and there's some chronology of time that's being loosely illustrated, you are going to criticize it because it's going to be harder to, to really get. And that is the moment that Dada landed in the U.S. and just continued. It was an international movement, and it's more of an idea than it is a signature visual style. Yeah, because I, I look at some of the art from the, the movement, and honestly, a lot of it is this crap. <gasps> it is. It really is. If you really, if you go, guys out there, please listen. Lizzie's, Lizzie is waxing poetically about all the nuances and, and the beauty of Dada and the intellectual aspects of it. And it is, every, every movement has its place in time. But if you do look at the actual work, it's definitely not done by skilled craftsmen. They're done by artists of the time who thought that they were doing stuff. The stuff that things are that dreams are made of, as Shakespeare would say. But these were not dreams, guys. These were these were really these are nightmares. These, they're not nightmares either. I understand. Look, you know, when you're trying when you're creating a new art movement, you're trying to do stuff. You're trying to do something different, something outside of the box. And I understand that. I mean you see it you see it in theater, you see it in dance, you see it, and it's just, what what do we relate to? And I understand you're talking about, look, this was a time of like Sloan and Bellows and these great, powerful painters. Uh, they were making, they were making big moves. And so they were saying, okay, well, what's the departure to this? What is the, and can you, I, I have, I 
when I Googled Dada just now, by the way, as I'm using Google, and everybody should too, like when they're listening to this podcast, you have to have some visual references. Otherwise, you're just like, what is Lizzie talking about? She's so smart. She's so articulate. She's what an able, articulate dialectician. <laughs> but who cares? You need to, like, obvi- that's great, but what are we talking about? So as you're listening to this, Open up Google Images, look at Dada, so that you could side with me and be like, damn, Boo is right. Like, Lizzie's on some crazy pills right now. She's talking about this like it's the greatest, the greatest thing in the world. There's a Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci, and there's a famous Dada painting where they draw a mustache on her. I love this work so much. I'm Tell really me about glad that, that we get to I, talk about it. I need, I need you to explain that to me. I'm learning in this episode <laughs> from you, and then I'm going to... You know, say that I'm full of crap. No, I'm not saying you're full of crap. <laughs> I'm just saying that I don't necessarily agree. I don't like the art from that era. I've seen Dada, obviously, as an artist <laughs> over the years, but I can't look at it and say, like, yeah, this is my favorite art movement. As where there's a lot of abstract movements that I really like, for example, Cubism. I feel like that's a really, you know, that's a great movement. And there's a lot of works that came out of that. Absolutely. And I am going to talk about this work, but I just wanted to okay. reference one thing that you said okay. is that these artists don't have skill. Mm-hmm. Skill as as painters or skills as whatever whatever kind of traditional process that mm-hmm. we're used to. And that is the point. It doesn't matter if they have skill. Mm-hmm. These people could have the ability to paint, but it's their choice not to. So that's why I say it is the de-skilling because uh, the concept, the idea takes priority over how the work is made and how impressive it is to, to view. Okay. Was George Gross a Dada painter? No. Okay. No, because he's still there, really maintaining figuration and there's still the mark of his hand that's really expressively imprinted on the canvas. This is a great episode because I'm learning what Dada is with the audience and I think that you are also learning what it is, even though you know what it is. But I feel like even the people that create movements don't even know what it is until they have 2020 hindsight. <laughs> but I know yeah. that Dada also was a big graphic movement as well, right? Dada comes from Switzerland, doesn't it? From Zurich? Right. It is international. It was really And if you know popular. anything about the Swiss people, by the way, because I lived in La Tour de Paix in Switzerland for over a year, I was painting there for over a year, you will know why Dada comes from there. No offense, everybody in Switzerland, but that is a very dry, conservative, incredible, incredibly clean, incredible. So many things about Switzerland are amazing, but it is really dry and and just sterile and intensely conservative. And maybe Dadaism came as a reaction to Switzerland as well, because that place is is hardcore. Interesting, perhaps. And I think the fact that it is an international movement is significant because it reflects the tenor of the times that searching for meaning in a world after the devastation of war. And that's another linchpin of a lot of the Dada movements, the little factions of the movements, is that it's illogical and it is rejecting reason. Mm -hmm. And so that gets back to the name Dada. And a lot of scholars have tried to figure out, unpack, decode, what does it mean? Is it a baby's first word, Dada? And so is it representing the authoritarian gaze of the father? Who knows? I think the whole point is that we don't. And it's more of a poetic exercise in chance and improvisation. So to get back to your question, what does 
the Mona Lisa that's been defaced by Duchamp with a mustache and a beard mean? Well, first of all, the work is uh, Duchamp edited, or he amended, he added these little markings on a really cheap reproductive uh, version of it. And Mm -hmm. so it was just like a cheap poster. And we've talked about the Mona Lisa as being the most ubiquitous, the most iconic, the most venerated image of Western art. And so I think he's utilizing that, the fact that everybody has seen it, to create his message, which is, again, an exercise in de-skilling using a found object. And the found object here is both da Vinci's image, but also the cheap commodification of art that we see in the poster. And so that is his found object. Now it's no longer a toilet. It's a cheap poster. And so he does touch it up with his hand. And I think that is to add some humor and whimsy. And Dada is a really funny movement. A lot of the art is playful. It's self-mocking, certainly mocking of the art world. And not only is it mocking through those renderings, but also through the title. And he titles it Elash Ooku, but it's all the French, uh, the French letters. So mm-hmm. it's L H O O Q. And Duchamp was French. And so if you say that quickly, Elash Ocul, it kind of sounds like the phrase, she has a hot ass, or there's mm-hmm. fire mm-hmm. down below. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. I think is really funny and subversive about that is that in the Mona Lisa, it's a three quarter length portrait. So mm-hmm. we don't actually get to see her ass. Mm-hmm. We don't know if it's hot. We don't know if there's fire down below. And so that's just uh, another... It seems like there could be. There could be, yeah. right? And he suggests that there is. Right. But it's just another funny flip of mm. expectations and of traditionalism in art. And that is what Dada excels at. Yeah. I'm listening. I'm looking at it. <laughs> no, it's, it, look, you know, every art movement historically serves a purpose and it's so hard to have something unique and have something that's really different in the art world. You know, it really is. It's, it's like everybody wants to create an art movement. Everybody thinks that it's a, you know, a new school or a new style or a new era of art, but it's very difficult to actually do something different. And I will say that these, that they did during a time. And now it almost feels like very even exponentially more difficult to create something that's really unique and has a unique voice in this art world that seems to be a clusterfuck of all kinds of movements and mashups right now. Everything's a hybrid of a hybrid of a hybrid. And, you know, something is a watered down version of a version of a version it is, it is, you know, very Descartian in that, in that respect. I agree. And I think that if we trace a lot of the contemporary ideas to its genesis, we will land at Duchamp and these strategies mm-hmm. of de-skilling found objects and that as a performance in and of itself that is both subversive but also humorous. And I wanted to mention another Dada artist and another strategy of Dada design, which is photo collage. And there's this female artist, Hannah Hush, and she is perhaps the most masterful of all of the people who utilize collage. And for her, it was an opportunity to disorient the viewer's gaze. Because on the one hand, if you use a photo collage, you're using something that's already been seen, already been digested, and viewed through 
the media. And so she would take images of politicians that she found in already published sources and cut them out and then re-articulate a composition that makes no sense. And so that is a really cool strategy because on the one hand, it's familiar because it's a literal picture of somebody that you know. But on the other hand, it's completely disorienting because you don't know what this re- composition means. And so she used a lot of her collages to comment on women's roles in the Weimar Republic. And she has her most iconic work, which is called Cut with the Kitchen Knife. It has a much longer title that I can't remember. And it's huge, very, very large scale with tons of recognizable figures and lots of little use of text. She has uh, something, the the whole wide world, Dada in German, and... Die, anti-Dada. So the Dada and the anti-Dada, right? So mm. the composition is really divided into quadrants. On one quad, there are tons of anti-Dadaists, and then on another, people who are more supportive of it and also creative, and it's a really complicated image. And her work and the work of her contemporaries who also use photo collage, like John Hartfield... They were so subversive and powerful that years later, when we're emerging into the pre-World War II era, so from World War I to World War II, Nazis thought that this stuff was so dangerous that they tried to to uh, enter into Hanahosha's house and tried to steal or take all of the works. And she knew when she could hear the knocks or maybe saw the SS officers arrive that the work should be preserved and that the work was powerful and important. So she buried a lot of the photo collages in her garden and also hid them in her fireplace. And so that's the only reason why so many of these are extant. Yeah. And a lot of uh, her work to me reminds me of, it's very Monty Python, like very Terry Gilliam-ish. Like if you look at the craziness of Monty Python, I feel like there's a lot of humor in it and a lot of stacking and, you know, a lot of, I think it was very influential as well to uh, artists like Steig and just artists that were able to just be insane. And there's like an insanity to it, like a chaos to it. And an, an interesting uh, combination, like you said, of typography with with images and photographs. And so I think that it feels very New Yorker circa... 1960s and also very Monty Python. I feel like I'm, I would be, I would be, uh, I think it would be fair to say that Terry Gilliam was probably a, a fan of, of hers as well. The, you know, the Terry Gilliam, the director who directed Brazil and, and you don't know. I don't. You know, Seven Monkeys and, you know, a million time bandits. He was a director of so many great Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He, you know, that was one of his more recent ones with Johnny Depp. But Terry Gilliam is an amazing director and clearly kind of grabs from some of these images. And I think also it would be fair to say that, you know, a lot of this work has been grabbed by not only people in the film industry, but also I think Picasso was probably very influenced by Well, there was cross-pollination. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. It's hard because a lot of these movements, a lot of the isms, Cubism, Dadaism, Futurism, they're all happening concurrently Mm -hmm. throughout different parts of Europe. And so it is true that they probably influenced each other, but I wouldn't say that there's a direct linear movement from Dada to Cubism because they're all happening at the same time. And 
With Hannah Hush, she's not really humorous in her work, or at least that's not her intention. She's trying to subvert systemic fractures within society. And then Hartfield, he is more interested and steeped in politics and particularly in the the fascist rise. And he is wary of Nazism. And so a lot of the photo collages that he recreates are, they have that Nazi bent. So there is humor and whimsy within Dada, Mm. but I see that more specifically in the work of Duchamp than I do in these photo collagists. Well, thank you for schooling me in Dadaism because I barely knew anything about it at all, seriously. I mean, as many of the movements as I really know about, Dadaism is one of the least understood. Probably that's the whole point of it, isn't it? Yeah. Success. It is. It's totally illogical and irreverent. And so I think it is hard to fully get a grasp on what the artists are trying to say. Also, since there's such a diversity and a range within the the work itself, then that also provides a challenge. But I see that as more accurately an opportunity. So thanks for listening to our lecture on Who's Your Data? And I also wanted to shout out to CAA, College Arts Association. Thank you for sponsoring this podcast. CAA was founded in 1911, so right around the time of Dada, so totally appropriate. Interesting. And it's the world's largest supportive organization for professionals in the arts, and they have an annual conference this year. It's February 13th through the 16th in New York, and there are going to be over 300 sessions and all presented by art historians on a range of topics. One topic in particular is very important to me. It's called Public Art Dialogue, and that's on Valentine's Day. And I'm going to be speaking, super excited, talking about the intersection between politics and street art. So you guys should check it out. Registration is open, CAA. And so just go online to check it out? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Go online. It is, I believe, collegeart.org. And it's a really special conference, and a lot of the thinkers are just innovators within their field. And if you're interested in art, interested in art history, you have over 300 sessions to educate yourself. I'll be there. Yeah. Cool. Well, look, guys, just we do this because we love it, and we want you guys to also show us some love by writing a review We don't care if it's iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on. Write us a review. Don't give us anything less than five stars or a brilliant review because then keep it to yourself. Just kidding. But seriously, (laughs) write something great. Thanks, guys, and peace.